in a study of the Gospel of Luke. We're now at last into the 13th chapter. We got into that last week. And today we are picking up Actually, no, well, not last week that we got, we, we, we are into it tonight or today, uh, verses one through 17. So Luke chapter 13, we are starting chapter 13, uh, today, uh, and verses one through 17, you can look on the screen or use your Bibles as I read the word of God to us this morning from Luke 13, one through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, And I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey 
from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it now. Father, we have read your word, but we need your Holy Spirit to help us understand and follow where it leads. Father, we need the Holy Spirit so that we might understand truth and might share it with others. Lord, we ask this now for your glory. Amen. At this point in time, once again, Luke hasn't told us exactly where Jesus is. Somewhere between probably, again, Galilee and Jerusalem. But he doesn't tell us exactly. But he has gone on the offensive. That we do already know. He's already told us that. Jesus is becoming more abrupt and more to the point in his challengers. He has gone on the offensive and stepped up his confrontation with the religious leaders of his day. And he called on them to turn from their pride and their hypocrisy and to believe his teaching and who he really is, the Son of God, who has come to this earth to do the Father's will. But most of the religious leaders were opposed to Jesus and his ministry. The conflict was intensifying. And the stakes were getting ever and ever higher and higher. Now in today's passage, we encounter an often misunderstood passage in the Gospel of Luke. Many modern day Christians... That would be most of, I'm talking about us, as we read our Bibles and particularly as we read this passage. Many modern day Christians believe that Jesus is talking about the need to repent before the end of time. Now, that is true, but that's not what Luke is primarily talking about. Luke is telling his readers that at the time they were in the place they were now. He's not talking to somebody way off in the future, not directly. He's talking about those that were all crowded around Jesus at that time and they 
were, most of them, oblivious to the danger that was coming their way. Luke is telling his readers that the time to repent is now before it's too late. He's talking about the generation in which Jesus is on this earth speaking and teaching and telling these parables. Now, today's outline goes like this. The urgency of repentance, the stay of execution, and the necessity of celebration. Let's dig in. The urgency of repentance. Luke is saying, people, Jesus is calling people to repent. And in today's passage, someone in the crowd brought up a well-known atrocity in that time in which Galileans, men in Galilee's blood was mixed with ritual sacrifices, and they were murdered. Now, who would do such a dastardly thing as that? Well, it was widely reported that it was none other than Pontius Pilate. You've heard about him. He's the one who did that injustice. And this event likely occurred at one of the annual feasts when Jewish nationalism tended to boil over. <laughs> In other words, at, at, at those national feasts, that's when all of the zealots came out. That's where there was all kind of upheaval and opportunity usually taken because they hated the yoke of Rome. Now, Jesus had a very important question for the crowds. He asked them, in light of this guy that popped up and said, what about this? What about those poor Galileans that got slaughtered by Pilate? Jesus had a very important question to them all. He asked them if they thought those Galileans who died were worse sinners than all of the others. And then he went on and reminded them of another tragedy involving 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam came crashing down and killed 18 people. Jesus adds on top of what the guy out in the group said about this isn't right, this isn't fair, it shouldn't be this way. Jesus said, okay, I'll, t I'll give you another example. But what, are you, what is the point? What do you do with that? You see, Jesus' point was that human tragedy, what happens to people in this world is no indicator of how great their human sinfulness is. In other words, a lot of people in 
in ancient times thought, well, if something bad happens to you, it's because you've been bad. You're a bad sinner. You must have been really bad because this was really awful. Jesus says, there's no correlation here. It didn't happen because someone was worse than somebody else. There's no correlation, but there is an important thing that Jesus is trying to drive at. He says, you're looking for correlation there, and it's not there. But then Jesus says it not once, but twice. No. Barking up the wrong tree. No, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What is Jesus saying? Repent, fairly straightforward. A lot of you know, in the Greek, it is basically suggesting a about face, a turning around from a, a direction that you're going that is not healthy, well, or good, but turning the opposite way and going in a different direction. So to repent is to turn around in the opposite direction in which you're going. And Jesus is telling that generation, his generation, all of those around that Luke is recording here in this story, He's telling them and all that can hear him or will hear him. He's telling them, his generation, that you're on the wrong road. It's the road to perdition and you don't even understand it. You don't realize it. Turn around. Pull a 180. And come to me. You remember how Jesus, I am lowly of heart. Come to me. And yet, at this point in time, things are intensifying. And Jesus is finding not only there are the religious leaders, but even many of his followers are beginning to wane. And Jesus now is moving more and more directly toward the end for which he came. You see, Jesus is making it clear that those who refuse the summons to repent of their direction and abandon their flight from national rebellion against Rome, if they don't do that, if they don't stop that, they're going to suffer monumental consequences. They're going to have a terrible experience because of what they have not believed and they have not come to Jesus. They have not turned around. They're going still their own way. Now, it's interesting here, the second point is what I call the stay of execution. Because it seems like for a while, 
it seems like, wait a minute, maybe there's, there's going to be an opportunity. And there might be some prolonging from what is coming their way unless they repent. Now in verses 6 through 9, Jesus goes on to say that the time for repentance is not guaranteed to be long. It's fleeting. It's already moving that way. And unless you turn around, repent, and turn and go the other way, go the different direction, that 180, you are going to be in terrible trouble. You see, it was God's intention in the beginning when God brought Abraham and his people into becoming his people. It was God's intention that the nation of Israel be set in the midst of all the nations of the earth to be a testimony and a blessing to all mankind. That's what they were supposed to be. But now, now comes the order from the owner. Cut it down. Cut the tree that represented Israel. The fig tree. It's worthless. It's not doing what I put it here to do. Cut it down. The owner says in this parable. But. Here's where the the stay. Of execution. At least for a while. That's what the. Owner says, cut it down. But the caretaker or the gardener intercedes. He says, uh, Mr. Owner, um, I know it may be borrowed time, but what if? Why not let's give it one more year? And then if, 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 if they don't turn, if things don't get better and get going in the right direction, chop it down. I want you to listen to Mike McKinley, commentator uh, that I found helpful. Says, the fig tree was given another year to produce fruit before it was cut down. But the reader is left without much hope that the extra time will result in drastic change in the tree's fruitfulness. And that's the key point. Fruitfulness is what the owner is seeking. And it's what also the vine dresser is seeking. In the same way, The nation of Israel was in a season where God's judgment had been delayed. But not indefinitely so. And so Jesus calls them to repent. Which is in this way, it's a way of saying, 
bear fruit. Do what God puts you on this earth to do. To make you a people that would bless the nations of the earth. Show me that kind of fruit. And you will live. And so Jesus calls them to repent. To bear fruit in the language of the parable. Before God sends his judgment on them. Sadly. History tells us that this warning went largely unheeded by Jesus' hearers. In AD 70, judgment did fall on Israel like so many towers as the Romans swept in and Jerusalem was leveled and the nation was largely destroyed. But that heart from the vine dresser, the caretaker, was for mercy. God will judge, but he also is merciful and is patient. But there is a limit to his patience. The caretaker had asked for that, and the owner gave him that additional time. Now, this passage bristles with a double tension. Will Jerusalem repent and be rescued? And if, as he has been saying, Jesus expects to die himself in this whole affair, all, what's going down at this point in time, Jesus is talking about his own death. Not just the destruction that may be coming for the nation that rebels and does not bring forth the fruit of the owner. Jesus expects himself to die when he goes there. How does this relate. How do those two come together? But they're on a collision course. That's what's going to happen. Yes, if they keep going, they're going to run right into the jaws of Rome and be chewed up and spit out. But who else is going there to Jerusalem? It's Jesus himself with intentionality that I told you about a couple of weeks ago. The passion zeal to bring about the beginning of a new heavens and a new earth. Those two things converging together at that point in time in history. What is God up to? You see, what is God up to in our world today? We often don't see it. We don't understand. And in our own lives, are we bearing the fruit of the kingdom of God? That's what original Israel was supposed to be doing. We are the new Israel of God. And we're supposed to be bearing the fruit of the kingdom. Giving to its cause. To its purposes. Loving the king and his kingdom. Is that you and me? 
You see, because of what was happening, something else that was going to take place in that generation. And that would be what Jesus himself would do in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Now, it may seem strange, the third point here, the necessity of celebration. Doesn't seem to, okay, that's kind of a stop where we hit right there. One and two. First point, second point. They kind of flow, one flows after the other, and yet it appears that Luke has either gone on somewhere else, could have been right next door, could have been way on somewhere else, many, many miles away. We're not told. But Luke then tells us that on one particular Sabbath, Jesus used an opportunity to make his claims even more clear. As if they weren't already clear enough, there was plenty to prove who he is, and yet they would not believe, as Scripture would say elsewhere, even though one rise from the dead. They were at that point, they were that ensconced and dug in with their view of the future. But you see, here, a woman who had been crippled for 18 years, and Jesus called her to step forward and said words that she must have had yearned for for so many of those 18 years, night and day. Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. You're free. And immediately, she was able, having been bent over to the point, this is in a position like this for all these years, she was able to straighten up and walk about completely normal. The curvature of her, of her spine immediately went back into place. You see, he reached out and put his hands on her, and immediately she was relieved of her problem and able to stand and walk. And of course, what did she do with that? How did she respond to that? Intense praise to God. She knew this was from God that she had prayed for, and now on that day, her healing day had come. But not everybody was pleased, were they? Listen again to verse 4. Or not not verse 4. Verse 14, excuse me. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. (laughs) Uh, You see, the contrast of the woman's reaction of praise and the 
instant response of this synagogue ruler and his indignation and demand that Jesus shut down the healing clinic on Sabbath. Do that some other place, some other time. Not here, not now. But Jesus pointed, maybe he put his finger pointed at, at the guy. We don't know for sure. But Jesus responded. Jesus pointed out the hypocrisy of having Sabbath rules that allowed care for animals, but not for human beings made in the image of God. Jesus ignored the man-made rules to bring joyful healing. You see, Jesus' work on the Sabbath shows his opponents that fr- the freedom that they ought to celebrate on the Sabbath. It was meant for us. Listen to what Ralph Davis says. He says, now when you read verse 10, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues of the Sabbath, you may be tempted to think that Luke has merely tacked on another incident about Jesus' miraculous work. This is where I said earlier, remember, that this didn't seem to connect. But, but listen. But that is not it at all. There is nothing helter-skelter about the arrangement. He hasn't just said, oh, well, I got you know, to find someplace, oh, I'll throw that over there. Or I'll put it over here under this. No, no. Absolute clarity and intentionality. There is nothing helter-skelter about the arrangement. He means to provide in the synagogue, synagogue ruler, verse 14, a living color example of Israel's inability to discern the time. He's saying to this synagogue ruler, you are just like all the rest of these that are opposing me. You are trying to, again, I'm giving everybody around and this woman and everybody that's seeing my miracle that I've done or God has done through me, that is being, that is going to be exposed. You see, he is, uh, exhibit A, Ralph says, exhibit A of the fruitlessness of Israel. He's saying that's what this guy is. He's just an obvious poster child for the hard-heartedness of so many of the leaders in Israel. So time and precise location may be omitted, but the episode is thematically connected with what precedes the denseness and opposition of denseness and opposition of Israel. There is a new setting, but it's the same old theme. 
The same one that Jesus has been encountering over and over, increasingly more and more. Here we go again. Here's another poster child. This guy. This is all wrong. So it is connected. It doesn't seem to be, but it's connected to what Jesus has already said in parts one and two. It's not grabbed out of thin air. Now, Luke makes clear, very clear, I think, that the events of AD 70 were fulfilled by divine judgment on unbelieving Israel. That's what Luke is saying. You're going to see it again several times as this thing keeps rolling down toward its destiny. But Luke also wanted his readers then and now, that would include you and me, and the ones back then, to bring forth fruit that expands the gospel kingdom. That's that's the point. Going all the way back to the beginning of Israel, that's what they were supposed to do. And you and I are now to continue that kingdom call. You see, in the gospel, God made the problem of evil his own personal problem. By sending his son to suffer and die in our place so that we, the guilty ones, can go free. So that we don't have to get steamrolled in judgment. But we must repent and walk in the path of light and of truth that Jesus called his people. And bear that fruit living fruit that glorifies God and edifies his people. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is sometimes difficult for us to understand because it's been a long time and yet Thank you that you brought those who would write down Holy Scripture so we would have these stories, we would have these events and know and we can be confident that they are true. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending Jesus to deal with our problem And to bring the solution so that we, the guilty ones, can go free. Oh Lord, what a a great Savior. What a great God you are. We exalt you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.